Welcome to Reframed, a podcast created to educate, encourage, and inspire parents and professionals. The research is clear. Parenting a child that has a history of loss, abuse, neglect, or trauma requires parenting skills and insight to be reframed. We partner with child welfare experts to bring you evidence-based and research-driven information. Reframed host, Emily Moorhead, LPC, and guests strive to make an impact on our world by creating conversations about topics that are important to you, your family, and our communities. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Reframed. Today, I'm joined with Monique Lee. Monique, tell me about yourself. Hi. Okay. So I am a licensed clinical social worker and I work in the post-adoption department at Gladney. I work with our international families. Um, I do their post-placements and I do um, their clinical calls and questions. Um, Families can email me. So I support them after their kids come home um, from China, Taiwan, Colombia. Um, And then I also do part of our pathways training for our families um, before they take placement. That's awesome. At Gladney, we a lot of times refer any questions about sensory needs to you. You've kind of become this in-house expert without asking for it, really. Um, So I wanted to talk with you today a little bit about sensory needs and what we as parents and, and caregivers and providers should know. So walk me through what a sensory need is. Okay, so a sensory need can be really just a multitude of things. Um, You can have needs in just one area like your sight or your hearing, um, your smell, or you can have needs in multiple areas. So it gets really tricky to try and decipher what your needs are, what your likes are, what your dislikes are. so it's it's a little bit tricky, but hopefully throughout this podcast, we can kind of explain a little bit about what that looks like for families and our kids. What are the two main types of sensory needs? The two main types that I typically talk to families about are um, being sensory seeking and sensory avoiding in each of your different senses. Um, So you can crave a certain sense, like you can crave loud noises or busy places, or you can be sensory avoiding. So like you can avoid strong smells or certain textures, um, things like that. So seeking and avoiding. So I think a lot of times when we as therapists talk with parents or caregivers about a child's sensory needs, they immediately go to sensory processing disorder. Um, and even sometimes worry maybe that their child could be on the autism spectrum. So kind of walk me through, like, what are we looking at when we're talking about the differences between these things? Um, so sensory processing disorder is really just more of like the extreme. Um, our, our kiddos with autism do typically have sensory processing disorder. But just because you have sensory processing disorder does not mean that you are on the autism spectrum. Um, And really, sensory processing disorder is really just a disconnect between your brain and the rest of your nervous system and how you take in certain sensory information. Um, It's it's basically your wiring is off. Um, So I typically describe to families 
For sensory processing disorder, if your child's sensory needs are disrupting your everyday life and they're just having meltdown after meltdown throughout the day, um, anything that you try, you know, tips that we'll talk about later in this podcast aren't working, then I recommend that they get an OT eval and see if there is a sensory processing diagnosis in that. Um, I'm not qualified to make that diagnosis. It really has to come from an OT. So that's kind of how I describe to families the difference. If it's disrupting your daily life and it's really just become super overwhelming, then go and get that OT eval. So I think what a lot of times the conversations that you may have with family looks like, hey, these are some of the behaviors that may be triggering um, because of the sensory need. And so helping them kind of follow the tracks of their child and clue in. So what are some of those things that you would tell a parent to, to look for or clue into? Um, so a lot of times I get phone calls or emails about, um, hey, my kid will not sit still at the dinner table, or I have the kid that is, you know, bouncing around on the couches or wants to watch TV upside down. They're hanging off of furniture. They're, you know, just can't sit still and they're going crazy, um, The first thing I tell them is to look for that sensory stuff, whether it's proprioceptive, which is the deep muscle pressure, or the vestibular, which has to do with that inner ear fluid and getting your head moving um, and telling you where you are in space. So those kids that crave vestibular movement, they're the ones that just are spinning around all the time and jumping up and down and hanging on things upside down. Um, And then the proprioceptive seekers are the ones, again, they, they love rough housing and wrestling and um, bear hugs and things like that. So if you notice that your child is is seeking more of those things, then we start having a conversation of of their sensory needs and what that looks like and how you can help them. I remember that um, when one of my little guys was 18 months old, he started banging his head into the wall. It was this weird kind of scary behavior that tripped me out. And so I remember calling you And we kind of walked through what happened before, what happened after. um, And you gave me this really simple suggestion, which was just offer him squeezies. And so now it's a family tradition. And my now almost three-year-old will be able to say, hey, mama, I need a squeezy. Or hey, daddy, I I need a squeezy. Um, And dad gives the best squeezies. Um, But it's a tradition and a ritual that happened in our home just because of kind of exploring what that need was behind that behavior that felt different. Um, and so I think for parents, sometimes these behaviors feel scary. Um, do you have any kind of like tip sheet or checklist that you use when walking parents through that? I do. So there is a sensory checklist. Um, I hand it out to our families in our pathways training, and then I'll email it to families if they're questioning, you know, okay, I think we might have some sensory seeking in this area, but he may also be avoiding in this area. And I can't really tell. I'll just email this checklist. And it's from Raising a Sensory Smart Child from that book. Um, But they have like a PDF online and I just send it along and it breaks down into each category. So like Um, For touch, it'll say, are you um, seeking in touch? Are you avoiding in touch? Are you mixed or are you neutral? And it gives you examples of like, um, I don't know, 
Let me think. Um, so do tags in your shirt bother your child or the seams in the sock bother you? Um, and then you can just kind of go through each checklist. It gives you, you know, line by line. And then you fill that out and you can see in each area, okay, I have more check marks in seeking and touch. And then I have more check marks in avoiding in smell. And then you just kind of line them up. Um, and it kind of just gives you a guideline to go by of what do I need to incorporate into my home for my kids? Um, I like to call them sensory, sensory quirks because um, we all have them. I have them, um, you know, kiddos in, that I work with have that. It's just really common. We all have things that we like and dislike and sensory needs that we have, right? Um, but how empowering is it, like your little guy, to be able to voice that and say, I need this, my body needs this, I'm not going crazy. Um, and to be able to provide that for your kids, it's just, it makes worlds of a difference. It instantly stopped the behavior of hitting the head, which is fascinating. And so I think it's cool for you as a therapist to holistically look at the picture um, because you're working with families who are probably having some behavior needs or behavior crisis even. Um, and so as a therapist to be trained to kind of look at these things so we can guide parents in the right direction of an OT referral um, or maybe just making some small tweaks and changes to empower their child. And now I'm dying to know what your sensory quirk is. Uh, so I have a lot of them, uh, to be really honest. Um, I am super sensitive to smells, so I avoid really strong smells. Um, I joke, so anyone that knows me knows that I am like the poster child for the hangry person. Like, I get not nice when I don't eat. So I always have snacks with me. I have them in my bag now. I bring them everywhere I go. There's just not... It's not an option to not bring snacks with me. <laughs> um, but I also, I crave the proprioceptive. I crave that like deep muscle pressure, just like your kiddo, you know, squeezies are just, they're great. I love that feeling. That's really cool. I think that sometimes we as adults don't even know that we have sensory needs until we're starting to explore that for our child. Um, I mean, for example, my husband sleeps with a very heavy blanket and now we joke like it's his weighted blanket and I hate this blanket. It's so ugly, but it's a sensory need of his. Um, recently we've upgraded to a weighted blanket and I mean, five-star review, it's been impactful for him. So he needs that deep proprioceptive touch. And so I think before we start panicking about a diagnosis for our child, I think it's important to realize that we also have needs. Um, and that when we're asking our kiddo, you know, to sit still, that that's when those needs are really starting to come out. And so adapting our home um, to their needs with behavior can really minimize behavior. Yeah, and it's a really easy fix, right? I mean, how easy is it for you to, with a child that's struggling sitting still, to get them one of those little wobbly cushions that they sit on and they can fidget with while they're eating or while they're watching TV um, or even at school? You know, those things can be helpful and it avoids this whole like huge meltdowns and issues at school and issues after school doing homework. I mean, it really just sets them up for success throughout the whole day. Um, if you can just give them what they need or help them avoid what they can't handle, what their bodies can't take in. Talk to me what this looks like kind of across the lifespan. So with infants and then you know, our toddlers and then, you know, our children um, who are, you know, out of that toddler phase, pre-K, you know, to teens. What does this look like? Sure. So 
For infants, it's really just a lot of what you would normally do. A lot of the tummy time stuff is great for that proprioceptive, you know, giving baths and trickling water is great for the touch and just slowly introducing them to different sights and sounds and smells without like super overwhelming sensory input, right? If you can do it slowly and progress through those things, it introduces their bodies to those senses. Um, for toddlers, it gets really tricky because it's hard to know if a toddler has these sensory needs or if they're just tired and need a nap, right? So you just kind of have to explore. Um, that's why it's when families call me, I'll say, um, tell me what the behavior is. Tell me what does it look like? When is it happening? Is it happening just before bedtime or is it only happening in the mornings? You know, it kind of gives you an idea of like when to incorporate these things or if it really just is he needs a snack or he needs to go to bed. Simple as that. So toddlers are a little bit tricky because they also can't voice what feels good, what doesn't feel good. They just cry, right? <laughs> or yell or whatever their defense is. Um, and then as you get older, you with school age kids, they can start to tell you what they like and what they don't like. And you can start to really empower them to use their voice and tell you what they like, what they don't like. Um, some kids love to be outside or they love to swim and play in water. Some kids hate being wet or they hate doing any type of messy play um, or they hate playing on the playground. And that's really bizarre for a school age kid, but they don't enjoy, you know, the proprioceptive of hanging on monkey bars or going down those twisty slides is too stimulating for them. Um, so you really just have to be a detective, but you can also include your child once they're school age to actually tell you what they like and don't like. Um, for adults, you kind of just figure it out. Like for me, I just figured out that these were my little quirks. I didn't realize that sensory was a thing until I went through training and realized like, oh, I have sensory needs, duh. Um, so you kind of just learn to to incorporate those things yourself and, and compensate for your needs that you have. Um, but how cool is it if you can start from a younger age and be able to really put those tools in place from a much earlier age? I love that. And I think that, you know, with parents, a lot of times if they are struggling with behaviors, um, there is some tools that they can apply just in like a daily routine um, that I know that you train our Gladney families about. So can you kind of share with me what that looks like? Yeah, so um, it is called a sensory diet. I learned it from TBRI. And really what it is, is you incorporate every two hours. And I, I tell families don't get so caught up on the two hours. Like it's okay if it goes over, it's okay if it goes under. You do what works for you and your family. Um, but rotate physical, active play to get all of those proprioceptive and vestibular muscles going. Um, do a calming activity where it's just resting the body, whether that's reading a book or for little ones that could be taking a nap um, or just having some quiet time in a corner with, you know, beanbag and looking at some calming things. Um, and then food. So a snack or a meal, whatever time it is throughout the day. Um, so rotating those three things every couple of hours just constantly throughout the day can really put you um, at like an equilibrium, if you will. And then you'll, you'll start to see 
if your child is behaving better, then you have some sensory needs going on, right? Um, if it doesn't seem to make a difference, then you look at some other things. Maybe there is another diagnosis going on, um, some other things that we can evaluate in the home. That's really helpful. I think especially if they're considered maybe on the fence of seeking out additional resources through a therapist or an occupational therapist to be able to kind of journal some of these things out and have it prepared for an appointment, I think could be really helpful for every caregiver. Um, you could do this and it would be really helpful for a provider. I think that would be a dream come true if someone came into my office and brought that. So I think that it helps kind of speed up the process of getting answers if you're you know, practicing that detective mode. What kind of specialist would someone seek out? I mean, I know we talked about an occupational therapist, but specifically what would they do? Are there any other specialists that a family would reach out if they were seeing some of these needs increase? Um, I typically only recommend an OT that specializes in sensory processing. Um, a lot of them are the OTs that have those big gyms inside. Um, and they can really work with your child, but it's like finding a therapist, right? It's finding the good fit for your family and what you need. And so it may take a couple tries to find the right one that works for you and your family, one that will incorporate things in your home as well as in the office or wherever they're working with your child. Um, I have a lot of families that say to me, well, my child is getting OT services at school. Um, and I typically... Now, this isn't like a broad statement for all OTs at school, but a lot of them focus on your typical occupational like cutting and handwriting and things like that, which are very important. But for our kids that come from a hard place, they have even more sensory needs than just those occupational things to get them through the school day. And so I really recommend that they see an outside OT person, at least for an eval. Um, and then you can take that eval to your school and say, here's what we came up with and here's what the needs are. Um, but oftentimes I find that the school OT is just not enough for our kids that we're seeing. How do you differentiate for families who are adoptive parents or foster parents, how do they differentiate trauma um, cultural needs um, with just sensory overload? How does that look together? How does it live together? That's a tricky question because it all lives together, right? I mean, trauma and your sensory needs and kids from a hard place, like they all go together. Um, I typically tell families when they call me up or they email me and they're having behavior issues or they're having meltdowns um, or what I would call sensory overload to rule out sensory first because it's it's super easy and it's something that you can do on your own as a parent, as a caregiver, um, to just do some detective work, do some, some journaling, writing notes about your observations that you saw throughout the day. Um, and if it is sensory, those are quick fixes that you can deal with in the home, whether or not you need an OT, they're really easy to fix to empower them. And then a lot of the trauma stuff is separate, right? And so it's easy to, I, so the sensory stuff is kind of like a foundation, right? And so if you deal with that stuff first, then you can get to the, the next layer, which may be some of that trauma history and some of that other stuff. But if your body and your mind is not empowered through your sensory stuff, you can't have those more in-depth and 
processing conversations that use your frontal lobe and all the cognitive power, right? You have to, you have to take care of the body and the sensory needs first. It's that foundation layer. I love that. I imagine Maslow's hierarchy of needs with that, right? Like we can't reach this highest level of functioning if we don't have our basic needs needs met. And for some of our kids, it really might be how their body needs input um, as a foundational starting block. And so, you know, if we had a child come to us at a um, older age than newborn, you know, it really might be just figuring them out so we can get that base level before we go anywhere with, you know, learning and impulse control, you know, anything like that. Um, and so that can be difficult for families. Right. And you don't want to come in with this mindset of, oh my gosh, my child's having this huge epic meltdown. There must be something traumatic triggering him. What am I doing that's triggering him from his past? Um, Or what did I say that she took the wrong way that is causing this meltdown when it's just, hey, we need to go to the pantry and get you a granola bar, right? Like that's just coming in from a whole different level. And so if you take care of that bottom layer first, you'll know. And if it doesn't do anything, if you do the sensory diet and it's not working, then you know that there's other stuff there and you move up a higher level. It's just a really easy first thing to rule out for our families. So Monique, what recommended reading would you have for parents who are starting the detective process of figuring out their child's needs? Okay. So there is a book called The Out of Sync Child. Um, It's really in depth and it gets kind of sciency and it's a little tough to get through at times. However, it's probably the best book that just offers the information for you. And it also goes chapter by chapter of, you know, um, things to look for in each sense, whether that's visual, hearing, proprioceptive. Um, it just kind of breaks it down. And then so that's by Carol Kranowitz. And then she also has the out of sync child has fun which is a really great one. It gives you activities to do in each of the senses that your child may have needs in and gives you ideas and games to play and tools to use and things like that. So both of those, I would say, are just must-haves if you're wondering about sensory. Thank you so much, Monique. We really appreciate the conversation. For families who are interested in exploring their child's sensory needs or learning more about this process, we will provide all the resources referenced today in our show notes, as well as share information with you um, about the sensory checklist that Monique referenced. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Reframed. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening to Reframed. Visit gladneyuniversity.org to access the show notes and learn about upcoming trainings at Gladney University. We'd love your feedback, so please rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.